Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Inside Brockle podcast. I'm Elliot Jackson and I'm joined as always by Ryan Hildred. Ryan, how are you this morning? In a non-footballing sense, I am quite well this morning, Elliot. Um, in a, in a footballing sense? Well, I thought I was coming on this pod today to talk about, you know, parenting, gardening, other things. We're not talking about football today, are we? No, I've got nothing to talk about. So this is the world's worst podcast. <laughs> Some people might have thought that with the footballing chat, so you never know. Yeah. What a bad week. It's uh, six games without a win for Blackburn Rovers. Two dramatic, late, painful equalisers costing them four points this week. And unfortunately, we're going to break down what's been a pretty traumatic seven days to be a Blackburn Rovers supporter, follower, fan. Whatever aspect you follow this club, it should come with a health warning because it's it's certainly put everyone through the ringer in the last seven days. Of course, we'll start with Coventry on Wednesday night where Blackburn Rovers drew one all at Ewood Park. Try and take some positives first and foremost, Ryan. It was a good first half from Rovers, I thought. I thought they, they, they controlled the game quite well. Some nice patterns of play. Interesting in terms of personnel with Adam Walton playing as the deepest midfielder. It's quite, quite amusing to me that uh, we asked Yondal Thomason literally after the uh, Hull game whether Adam Walton was capable of playing in a two-man midfield rather than a three-man midfield or whether he needed that extra protection. And he said, brilliant on the ball, obviously still needs work to do defensively. So I did find it quite amusing when against Coventry, probably the team that are the best transitional team, counter-attacking team in the division, Adam Walton was the deepest central midfielder relied on to, to break up play. But it wasn't there for that. It was there to distribute the ball, to get on it in deep areas. And I thought he was really good. thought Rovers started really well, good first half. And they scored a goal first and foremost, but a very nice goal as well. Similar to the sort of goal we saw um, against Blackpool, a move from the back, Britain punching it into central midfield where Bezard had come off the left-hand side and picked up the ball. He fired it out wide to Smodix on the left, switch of play over to JRC. Lovely cross into the box. And there's Sam Gallagher with a goal. And that was a massive goal for him as well. And he had an early chance where Hedges drove at his man. Good cross. He got on the end of it, straight down the throat of Wilson. But you saw from that point onwards that he started to play with a little bit more confidence. The, go- the goal certainly brought that as well. And it just shows again that Sam Gallagher is such a confidence player. And I think as we'll come on to later in the game as, as he went off, they really missed his presence. And, and it shows that he can be an asset. I know he's a bit of a lightning rod, but when he's playing well and when he's confident, he's an asset to this team. Yeah, he is. He's, uh, he's a frustrating asset to the team, isn't he? Um, and it was a really good first half performance from Rovers. Um, we spoke about last week that Coventry would be coming to Ewood Park full of confidence, bang in form, loads of fans behind that goal. And I think they probably showed flashes in the first 10, 15 minutes or so, Coventry, that they were going to be a dangerous side. I was personally really worried about Giocarez down that left channel because they seem to be overloading on that side with Giocarez and then Bidwell getting forward from left wing back. So I kept watching that um, and just thinking, oh, that might be the area where they exploit us. But you're absolutely right. As the half wore on, um, we just looked more solid, more comfortable. Yes, Coventry were looking dangerous on the break at times, but I thought we dealt with it on the whole really well. And you're right to pick out Adam Wharton. I mean, the boy just oozes class, doesn't he? Just so confident and calm on the ball, receives it in those tight areas. Those little things that he does in centre midfield just to take on a man or beat a man just to open up space just does wonders within that centre midfield area for us. So I think JDT has got all the answers that he absolutely needs about Adam Wharton now. You know, if he's not going to be starting in in games for the rest of the season, then I don't know what he's seen from Adam Wharton in the last couple because I think he's been magnificent. And then, yeah, the goal, it was it was really, really well worked again. And JRC, that cross was just like, what a little just dink. He couldn't even be arsed with the cross. Nonchalant. Just, yeah, nonchalant. That's the word, isn't it? Just a little look up, saw Gallagher in the box and just goes, there you go, mate. And that's what we've been crying out for with Sam Gallagher. That's a tr- proper striker's goal in it. You know, we've seen Shearer and other people do that at Ewood Park over the years. That was a cracking header and... Really brilliant from Rovers to be 1-0 up at half-time because, as I say, I, I expected a tough opponent in Coventry. So, just reward for that first-half performance, definitely. 
Yeah, it was on a plate. It even laid out the cutlery for him, got the condiments out. It was all all there for him to to finish that one off. Second half, Rovers were more passive. I think we saw with the the early chance for Hamer where he sort of just breaks through the midfield line. And I suppose that's the risk and reward of playing Adam Wharton in that role. Um, You know, ultimately, if it was all positives, he would be playing there all the time. But there is a defensive side where you can get caught out and Rovers did in that moment. Hamer should hit the target, fires over the bar. That aside, although Coventry put a lot of pressure on, Ainsley Pez didn't have a lot to do. I don't have a list of saves to reel off that he made in either game, really. But they definitely allowed Coventry a bit of momentum to get themselves back in the game. They were unlucky with some injuries. Obviously, Harry Pickering was already out and missed the game. Then Joe Rankin-Costello and Gallagher were both forced off. Callum Britton was absolutely on his feet as well. I thought he... he I didn't think he played brilliantly. I have to say, if there was one person that I thought looked rusty or looked jaded or off the pace, I thought it was Callum Britton playing. You know, he's not played much football since he got injured before the World Cup, really. He only came back in for a couple of games. Looked good. But then he's had another sort of five, four or five weeks not playing. And I thought he had a bit of a torrid time against uh, Brooke Norton Cuffey on that right-hand side in the second half. He was he came off jaded, injured, a mix of the two. And there's been a lot of discussion. I don't know if this is the right time when to bring it up. There's been a lot of discussion about the move to the back five, which we'll come on to. But I'll just, we'll go in greater detail later, I think, after the Preston game. But... Let's just remember that Rovers finished the, the game with a back five. The two wingbacks were Sorba Thomas and Ryan Hedges. So it was a back three, if we're being, if we're being truthful. Um, and the, 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 I thought they held Coventry out quite well for 94 and a half minutes. You know, we, we don't have a list of saves that Ainsley Pearce was forced to make. Yes, they dropped deeper, undoubtedly. Yes, they should have got up the pitch better and they could have pressed um, in, a, in a more succinct manner. But I don't really think Thomason had much option with the injuries and with what he had available on the bench. So I, I do have a great deal of sympathy for that second half and why he made the changes at the time he did. Yeah, I've got lots of sympathy as well. And um, for me, the game-changing moment was the Sam Gallagher injury. Um, when we're not able to bring on a, a like-for-like replacement or, um, you know, Brereton Diaz, who for me didn't have a good game against Coventry, um, when he's not able to hold the ball up there either. Laura Vavages says if we can't keep the ball in Coventry's third of the pitch, if we're not winning throw-ins deep in their half, if we're not having a corner every now and again, Law of Averages says that Coventry are just going to get forward more and more. And yes, you know, Coventry weren't peppering our goal. Ainsley Pears wasn't making the chances. But I think when we lost that presence of Sam Gallagher, that's when we just lost that impetus on the game. And and that maybe did force JDT's hand a little bit to say, actually, if this the if this is the pattern of play and Dolan's not going to be holding it up there, Smodic is not going to be holding it up there, maybe we do have to defend it out a bit. So... I do have the sympathy with JDT there. Um, and we'll come on to my overall reflections on the thing, as you say, when when we cover the Preston game as well. But it was just <clears throat> when goals go in like they do in that manner, um, we're always looking for something to blame. And it's just sheer bad luck, the goal, which we'll come on to in a moment. So I don't think I'm, I'm blaming the system. I don't think I'm blaming JDT. I just think it's an absolute symptom of not being able to replace Sam Gallagher when he came on and therefore most of the play being spent in the middle of the pitch or in our third, sadly. I completely agree. I think that's exactly what, what, what was costly against Coventry personally. And of course, those six minutes added on. 95th minute, ball in the box. I have to say there were fantastic deliveries from Hamer. There was obviously a succession of them before the eventual equaliser. Again, God's sake, when a Rover's going to learn to take some set pieces, that it drives me up the absolute wall. They've got to change kick, kick takers because Tyler Morton, it's not working out. Even Sober Thomas's haven't been brilliant. There's something about this club that suppose set piece specialists, it don't work. For me, just get JRC to put some balls into the box. You've got to change it up. They're so poor. I think I saw some stats this week that they've got the second worst conversion from corners in the championship. But Coventry converted theirs. Obviously, so much controversy around it. Is it handball? Is it not? I think he handballs it. And I've seen different angles. I've seen the angle behind the goal where it seems to come off a bit of his chest, a bit of his thigh. I definitely think the arm is involved, personally. And I think it's handball. That's very, very unlucky to concede to a goalkeeper anyway. But in the manner of 
that they did. I think T- Thompson was absolutely furious after the game, and I think he has every right to be really. And that that was what cost Rovers two points. Sometimes it's too simplistic to say, "Well, they were unlucky," but I do think for a large portion of the the reason why they didn't win the game, it was bad luck. Yeah, it was bad luck. And, you know, I'm going to open up a can of worms with this one. Um, you know, some championship fans have, have said about VAR and, and whether it should be in the championship or not. I think this moment is a moment that the chance would be or the goal would be ruled out via VAR. I think your summary is absolutely correct. I think the arm being involved is exactly how I've read it. You know, I'm not screaming handball when I've seen it first time. I'm still not screaming handball, actually. And for that reason, I'm, I've not got too many complaints because I don't think it's like that obvious that the referee should see it. But when we're talking about teams like Rovers, like Coventry, um, you know, like others in and around us that have had some financial problems, and you're talking about the reward of the Premier League, moments like this for me, which could be season-defining for Rovers, you know, if we lose out by two points or Coventry are two points ahead of us, you could look back right at this very moment. So... I think this moment in the game is possibly why you should have VAR in the championship if teams are gunning for the rewards of the Premier League so much and the Premier League itself has VAR. So that's what I'll say on that. I'm actually really disappointed um, with the defending from Rovers, actually. As much as there is an arm involved, as as much as you know, we can debate whether it is handball or not, no one seemed to track him. Like He just seemed to waltz into that area and as you say, Harmer's set-piece deliveries were fantastic. And where that ball's actually landed, it's he's taken the corner and it's just landed straight on him. So who's marking him? Who's making it difficult for him? Who's giving him a shove? No one seems to follow him. And I think he goes through the middle of Brereton, Diaz and Smodic. He just seems to go in between them and no one seemed to follow him. So I'm actually disappointed with the defending as well because as good as the ball is from Harmer, You've got to do much, much better at 95 minutes or whatever it was. We, it cannot bounce into our six-yard box like that. So, Do you blame the goalkeeper a little bit? Should he be claiming a corner that's in your six-yard box? I'm not saying yes. I'm just playing devil's advocate. I've, I've seen that suggestion. And I think when you see... when I don't think you think that at the time, but when you see where it lands, as you say, ultimately, if it's in your six-yard box, should that be goalkeeper's? Yeah, I think you can make an argument for that, particularly because that is the way that Harmer kept taking those corners. Take a risk on the next one. You know, when we've been talking about bottle in recent weeks, bottle in different ways, you know, could Ainsley Pairs just have the bottle there to try and second guess Harmer and go, right, I'm going to come straight out and collect that. So I think you can make that point, um, Elliot, doing the devil's advocate. But I don't think it's a mistake from Pairs. I think it's just a, a series of unfortunate events that combine. But ultimately, I, I do think we could have defended it better. You know, why is a goalkeeper able to just waltz through unmarked? You know, that's just simple error for me, that one. I think that's the title of this week's podcast, a series of <laughs> unfortunate events. That's that's exactly <laughs> what this podcast is going to be called. So thank you for that, Ryan. Ultimately, the ramifications are not just the fact that Rovers have lost two points in this instance, but it's also the fact that it kept Coventry on their coattails, one point behind them. And this is what's been most damaging about the week. It's not even the fact they've lost four points, which is obviously horrific, but the fact that it's also kept Preston and Coventry still in and around them. And what could have been such a marvellous week? Again, the, the carrot was there. They could have gone fifth if they'd won it. And, and to pick them up off a canvas for Preston must have been really, really difficult. Yeah, it's just, and obviously Coventry have now gone above them by beating Reading at the weekend. So I think that for me was the the blow as much as anything that it's not just the fact that they've dropped two points; it kept Coventry right up up against them, one point behind them when it could have been four. Yeah, what a missed opportunity, and it's <laughs> we've been layering on this missed opportunity narrative, haven't we? In in recent weeks, with the different games that we've spoken about, whether it's Birmingham away, whether it's Hull at home, and the nil nil. Now we've got this one to add to the collection. We're going to have another one to add to the collection when we speak about that in a moment. And this is the worst collection ever. It is, and we could be home and hosed, you know. And the things that are are also in the collection are the the one nils that we've lost earlier on in the season, you know, Wigan away, teams like that. Um, you know, even those are a nil-nil, you know, a point at this stage of the season would be lots. So there's lots of things there that suggest that Rovers should be done. You know, we should be sat there in fifth place, possibly right on the coattails of Middlesbrough and starting to think about the playoffs a little bit. But, you know, we will comfort ourselves with the fact that 
at the time of recording, it's still within our hands. But I think that's why the goal from Coventry's keeper hurt so much, Wilson. I Just the ramifications for me um, it, it are massive. The fact that Coventry got those two points or clawed those two points back from us at this stage of the season is a huge, huge moment. It felt a huge moment. And you know, when we were recording last week and I thought that Rovers would draw both games, I never in my wildest dreams expected us to draw this game with Coventry in the manner that it transpired. Um, you know, both teams didn't really have chances. We'd done all the hard work to be 1-0 up and to lose the goal in the manner that we did was just just so disappointing. And you're right, Elliot, it's, it's just massive missed opportunities. I'm... I'm like a, an ex-partner of Rovers at the moment, just longingly, or an ex-partner of the championship table, I should say. I'm just looking at it now and just looking at these points and what could have been, you know, the sunset holidays that we could have been on together. And it's just not that. <laughs> so just what will happen these next three, I don't know. Ryan has absolutely been broken by this week. I think I think that last that last 30 seconds of audio just sums up where every Blackburn Rovers fan is probably at at the minute. Let's go to Deepdale, far more positive. <laughs> um, I thought the first half was pretty poor. It was probably the reverse of Coventry. They thought they were very poor first half. I didn't understand what they were trying to do tactically. I thought the starting 11 was very peculiar. I appreciate Sam Gallagher's not available. You've not got a number nine. He, he doesn't want to start Harry Leonard. That's a fact. But I felt away at Deepdale, I know they bullied Rovers in midfield, particularly in the reverse fixture at Upart. And I think that must have played into JDT's thinking a little bit, but it did not work. It was so unbalanced in attack. Smodic's playing as a false nine. It's not worked all season. He's not that sort of player. And he kept dropping deeper and deeper and deeper. Dolan was very poor in that first half. I thought Sober Thomas was probably the brightest of the attacking trio. But it just didn't make any sense. And because Smodix was dropping deeper, Preston could just push right up the pitch, press Rovers, pin them in. The amount of times Rovers played short, tried to play out from the back, couldn't find a way, back to pairs, boots it up. Bauer didn't even have to head it away, just brings it down on his chest because he's got nobody challenging him whatsoever. I just didn't understand what the plan was and it felt a little bit negative to me. It felt like Rovers had gone to play for a point, which I'm not trying to be disrespectful. They were at Deepdale, not the Etihad. And having played a more attacking system against Coventry. I was just really baffled by that first half approach. They didn't look like they were going to score in a month of Sundays. When the starting team came out, I tweeted that I was concerned where the goals would be. And I had a lot of people that were like, oh, well, Brereton's not been playing very well recently. I'm glad he's not in the team. And don't get me wrong, he hasn't been in great form. And if you're going to take to, but to take him out and replace him with Tyler Morton in terms of another central midfielder, it, it just felt in that first off that Adam Morton and Tyler Morton were trying to do the same jobs. And you almost had Lewis Travis as the furthest man forward a lot of the time because Smodix was dropping deep. And that is not a situation that Blackburn Rovers want to be in, trying to get a positive result away at a rival, away in a crucial game they needed to win. And it just didn't make any sense to me. No, and... I think there's a couple of things um, which may be guided as, as team selection here. So I think the first, I think this is where we feel the lack of another striking option because I agree with the person that, that you referenced there. I thought Brereton Diaz against Coventry was really poor. And I actually think had Sam Gallagher not got injured, I think Brereton Diaz would have come off because I think he was having a really poor game and then he had to stay on. Um, so whether JDTs just look at you know fatigue in Brereton Diaz, looked at his poor performance and thought you actually need to start this game on the bench. The issue, which not... I haven't got, I haven't got an issue yeah. with. It's it's the fact it... he took another, he took a forward out for a midfielder rather than play Absolutely. Hedges as well then and play those four. Absolutely, and that's where the problem lies, isn't it? Who is coming in for Brereton Diaz in that sense? So I can see why he's done it, and I totally agree with you. Sam Smodic is not a false nine, as the goal proved. You know, he is much more dangerous in that kind of dropping off, being able to come from deep, all those types of things. Not the not the false nine, not running himself ragged and, and you know, not having the energy for it. So I agree on on Sam Smodic. Um, the midfield thing, just the other thing that you said, 
Was he worried about the central midfield area? Was he worried about Preston getting their foot on the ball and getting the impetus at home and us going 1-0 down at Deepdale? Are we coming back? I don't know. Um, but I think evidently there was a game plan there from JDT just to contain a little bit. Um, and obviously what we saw was was not the greatest first half performance from Rovers. A um, couple of chances that, that obviously Preston had in the first half, which um, really made me anxious. I think there was a shot from... Uh, was it Cannon who dragged a shot wide? That one looked yeah. quite close. And then the free kick at the end of the first half. You know, after Ben Wilson scoring in stoppage time, A, what the hell is Ty Dolan doing at the end of that first half? <laughs> I just, I don't know what he was attempting. And then to give away a free kick like that on the edge of our own box in first half stoppage time, had we conceded right there, just that would have just been an absolute hammer blow and a half, wouldn't it? So the fact it didn't go in, we got pretty lucky. So... I'm pleased that JDT got them in at halftime and, and made those changes. And, you know, fair play to him because we have both, you and I, been critical of JDT this season about the subs, the lack of in-game changes, the lack of changing the direction of a game. Absolutely fair play to him for this one because he did. He changed the course of that second half. Yeah, he did. Obviously, Hedges came on, Broughton Diaz came on, and I thought Hedges in particular added quite a lot of zip and quite a lot of quality in the final third. Smodic's played a lot higher, he stopped coming deeper. Because my, my initial concern at our time was, well, you've not really changed anything. You've swapped the wingers over, but it's not changed the dynamic of the midfield and the attack. But it did because Smodic stayed higher up the pitch. And then instead of Travis playing as the furthest man, you had him coming from deeper, making those runs in the right channel, which he's been good at. And with Hedges naturally coming in, it, it worked. Uh, Wharton had more space to get on the ball. It was far, far better from Rovers. They were the better side. That said, they were they they were applying pressure without having that piece of quality in the final third to really hurt Preston, and I really did think it was petering into a nil nil draw with two teams that probably just weren't quite good enough to be in the playoffs. Really, was was what I was thinking on, and with an hour gone, obviously we had the hand of Smod, uh, which was rightly ruled out. I'm sure that irony wasn't lost on any Blackburn Rovers fan of the one handball decision that was correctly given this week against them. But yeah, that that with, with an hour gone, that they, they were just missing that final cutting edge still, even despite the improved um, second half performance and the change that they made. Yeah, it started to feel like hull all over. It really did. Um, yes, because they were, again, they were not taking the opportunity to shoot so many occasions. Yeah, and I think, was it Don Goodman who was alongside the commentator? I think he said described it as, as trying to score the perfect goal. And I think that that was a really good summary of it, actually, um, because it did feel like that at times. Just, you know, you're just begging for someone like at Ewood Park against Hull. Just have a shot, have a crack, test the keeper, do something. And it seemed like no one wanted to be that man, uh, the one who was doing that. So as it rumbled beyond 60 minutes into 75 minutes, he sat there thinking, wow, we've played really well this second half, the general play, the possession, the bravery in the centre of the park. You know, I thought Morton had a good second half as well. Morton and Morton, I thought, were were really good in the centre of the park. They were taking the ball in those areas. They were brave on it. They were looking to distribute it. Hedges came on and, as you say, made an impact. And I thought everything up until the penalty box, for me, was a perfect away performance from Rovers up until the point of the goal. It was... That was the only thing that was missing. So you started to then think about Hull at home and those other games and started to think about missed opportunities again. And yeah, it started to did feel like that, Elliot. It really did. Yeah, absolutely. And then they do get ahead. They finally get the goal. So And it was a really nicely worked goal. And again, that space in the centre of the park that was then there by Smodic stretching the play a little bit more. Adam Wharton into Trav. Travis into Smodics And... He's in that left channel. He cuts inside. I thought Burton Diaz was going to take him up, take it off him at one point. He checks back. Really cool, calm finish. And it was probably the first bit of attacking quality really we'd seen in the final third from either side in the game. And it was good enough to win the match, really. It was a really, really good bit of play and a good finish. I've been talking, um, you know, with some Rovers mates on another group chats and stuff about bottle and bravery in, in many different senses, you know, at this stage of the season. You can talk about it in terms of, you know, dealing with tough away crowds. You can talk about it in terms of standing up and being counted, all those things. But I think a big thing that we've been missing in recent weeks is the bottle and bravery in that attacking third. And I think if one man has looked like he's going to show some bottle and bravery to do something, it has been Sam Smodic. I think. 
even in those games when we've not scored. He's been a pest. He's been a thorn in the side. He's been trying to get the rest of the team going. He's, you know, working himself into the ground. He's looking like the man who's likely obviously got that goal away at Sheffield United, which is, you know, a really big finish in front of loads of Rovers fans. So he's clearly got the mentality and the bottle in front of um, in front of goal. And the goal is is brilliant because when you're talking about bottle and bravery, just even though he didn't have to say or do anything in this regard, but metaphorically just saying, no, Diaz, I'm having this one after that chop back to finish it in the way that he did. I think it was just reward for Sam Smodic in recent weeks. I thought it was a, a really, really good goal. What a smart finish and and what a moment for him. What a moment for all Rovers fans. Uh, we all went mental. Uh, it was all looking great at that point when you're looking at the as it stands table. Um, what a 10 minutes that was for us. <laughs> yeah, I think the fact that Rovers played late as well, all the three PMs had gone in their favour apart from Coventry winning. You know they're up to fifth if they win the game and four points wouldn't have been a disaster from the week. But obviously things unravelled pretty quickly from that point. Again, another talking point, as we spoke about, changed to a back five. Scott Walton comes on. Callum Britton comes on. And again, Ainsley Pears doesn't have a lot to do. He tips tips a decent shot from Ali McCann from the edge of the box. He sort of shovels that wide. Preston have a few corners, but I didn't think Preston were great. I didn't think they looked like a side that were good enough to finish in the playoffs. Tom Cannon looked a little bit bright, but I thought the centre-backs had a really good week, generally, against two informed strikers in the Championship. Hayden Carr, I thought, was immense against uh, Preston. He was my man of the match by by a bit of a distance, really, to be honest. And I thought Hayden, and I thought Dom Hine was good, really good again. But to play against Jokeres and Cannon and concede against neither, give, give neither a sniff. For, so for me, again, it's not... I find it really difficult to say this was just because they went to a back five. And obviously the big moment is Ryan Hedges breaks away. I don't know what's going through his mind. I don't have a defence. I like to try and defend players. I don't have one. It's it's naive. It's, inexper- it's, it's not an inexperienced player that's done it. It's really, really poor decision-making. He he's got so many options. He should run it into the corner flag. But even once you get in that position, you've got to drill it hard and low. Or use your right foot, for goodness sake. Come inside and open the angle up a little bit. Or just balloon it into the away end. But do not do what you did and chip it into the hands of Freddie Woodman. That was an absolutely horrific piece of decision making. And it really tainted what had been a good half from Hedges. He'd, he'd made a real impact after he came on. And I think that's what makes it jarring as well. Of course, Rovers can defend it better. Scott Wharton slips. That's quite unlucky. In my opinion, and this is probably maybe with a bit of a hindsight view, it should bring the lap down. He should bring him down, take the yellow card. Maybe Preston then go and score from the set piece. Maybe we'd be saying, why have you done that? Why have you brought him down? He's not in that much of a dangerous position. But I think it was a risk worth taking after he'd slipped and he'd got him behind him. Fires it across. It's a cracking finish from Dom Hyam. It's really unlucky. like To get it in from that near post angle and it flies past Ainsley Pears. So I'm not having any criticism of him at the near post either because it, it does fly at some pace from a position he's not expecting it to come from as well. It's just an absolutely horrible goal to concede at a horrible ground to concede it at, at a horrible time to concede it. Yeah, horrible is is the right word. And um, I felt really horrible. So let's just dissect all of this then. So um, formation-wise, so Sheffield United away was the most damning one where for me there was no need to do the back five in that sense and we absolutely invited on a side that I think I saw a stat the other day that they've got the most XG and the most chance creation in the division at home so why are you inviting a side like that at home to come and attack you more by going to a back five so that one absolutely the change of formation is the fault the Coventry game, as we've just reflected on, um, with the cards that have been dealt, with Sam Gallagher going off, with the lack of striking option, again, you can see why, you know, the move to the back five happens. So, you know, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt with that one. I think now we've seen those two things. There's an element of psychology that comes into play with this now. Um, you know, if we've if it's happened before and you're bringing Wharton and Britton on again, who have been involved in the Sheffield United game, why there's two things for me firstly you're signaling your intent to the opposition to say 
actually, we don't fancy ourselves to score a second goal now, so we're going to defend this out. What that says to players like wing-backs, to defensive midfielders, it's get forward a little bit more, make yourself a bit of a nuisance. So I think there's a psychological element that says, you know, we're now going to be set up in, in this way in the game. Uh, but actually, in terms of this game, I'm not going to label any kind of the formation change or anything as the reason. My problem with it is probably the personnel involved with who's come on, not the system itself. And I'll come on to that in a moment. So that's kind of my views on the formation and everything. The Ryan Hedges chances. So, yes, he could have gone to the corner as one of the one of the things that he could have done. I'll forgive him that because when you literally clean through on goal from about 50 yards out, yeah, absolutely run through on goal because had he gone to the corner, got tackled, pressed and boot it, you know, you could then say, why has he not gone for goal? So I can see why he's gone for goal, but you're right to reflect. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right to reflect just what he did. You know, I don't need to repeat what you said. It's it's unforgivable at this stage of the season. He knows better. Um, I'm not having this young, naive thing. He's 27 years old. He's watched enough football over the years to know that 93 minutes into a 95-minute game, just don't do that, what he's done. But then we've still got the opportunity to defend better. And this is where the personnel thing comes into me. So... I really feel for Scott Wharton this season, the way that the season has gone, because actually last season you could argue he was one of our best defenders and there was a stat he's not, there. He's not looked quite right since no. he got dropped for the Burnley game, in my opinion. He's never recovered. No. And maybe you could label a bit of a formation change with this, because actually because of the switch of formation and other things, is it Dom Hyam going up for that first header? Is it Harry Pickering going up for that first header? I don't know, but Scott Wharton I know has to do much, much better when Freddie Woodman has uh, has kicked that ball, even with the slip. I know if that's Daniel Ayala, Daniel Ayala is bringing him down. I know. I, made that... I made that exact point in a, in my uh, sort of analysis talking points piece mm. on the, for the following. I agree morning. with you. I, Ayala takes the booking, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's loads of championship defenders that do. So he can still recover that situation. And then... Obviously, when that hasn't happened, you know, the other series of unfortunate events, Dom Hyam did not deserve that, what happened to him. I just, I felt for him so bad because him and Carter were magnificent, as you say, and have kept some strikers quiet this week. And Dom Hyam has had a cracking season for us this season. The Coventry element just adds that annoyingness to it that Coventry fans are all saying Agent Hyam and, and all of that. He did not deserve I'm what not, happened not, to him. I've not even thought about that. <laughs> yeah, they're they're going mad. If you just want to do a little search on Dom Hyam's name, then you'll see it all over Twitter. So, um, yeah, just really unfortunate. No, no blame attached to pairs. Absolutely agree with you on that. It's it's just really unfortunate. So a sickener, Elliot, and just another avoidable one. I think we could have defended the corner against Coventry better. I think we should have done game management better. And, you know, we should have those four points, plain and simple, after doing all that hard work to get our noses in front against two really tough opponents. It it really, really hurts. The one against Preston hurts even more for me because it was such a tight game and they managed to get the nose. It just looked like it was finishing nil-nil and you get your nose in front to not then see the points through with the added context of having dropped a lead late on three days previous. It just stung a lot and I've used the word naive a lot since the equaliser and I think people are, are not quite understand what I mean when that has just because Rovers are just because it was a 27 year old that did it doesn't mean it wasn't naive just because it was Scott Wharton that didn't bring him down doesn't mean it wasn't naive this is a group of players that ultimately are inexperienced going for the top six playing at the top end of the championship going for promotion so that's what I mean when I say that they haven't got that now that experience in the squad of these type of scenarios, Daniel Ayala aside, really, from what we've been discussing. And that's what I mean when I say it was naive. It was a little bit wet behind the ears. You can be 27 and have not been in this sort of scenario before and make naive, rash decisions. And that's what Ryan Hedges did. That's what Scott Wharton did, in my opinion. That's why it was naive. I'm not blaming, again, and I'm not, I'm not just here as local media to go in to bat for the club or to defend... Yondal Thomason, because it's easier for me as that. I was really critical of Yondal Thomason for the Sheffield United defeat in the FA Cup. I completely agree. That was poor decision-making from him. Once it went to two-all, and I know we discussed this on the pod, he should have gone back to a back four and put some more attacking plays. He got Dolan, if my memory serves me right. 
I was very critical of that. I do not think, in my honest opinion, Yondal Thomason changing formation to a back five in either of these two matches cost Blackburn Rovers. I think it's natural to try and protect what you've got when you've scored with 10 minutes to go in a game that's got nothing in it. What had Preston done for 90 minutes to say that they were going to really come on to Rovers and pepper the goal? I backed Rovers to see that out. Let's not forget this is a Rovers team that up until recently had won more games by a one-goal margin than anyone else in the Championship. Earlier in the season, they, they saw out so many wins, particularly at Ewood Park, by a slender goal. The Millwall game, Birmingham, um, Huddersfield, they all spring to mind instantly. This has not been an Achilles heel for Rovers all season, dropping points from winning positions. In fact, it's been a strength up until probably the turn of the year. So for me, I just don't think the formation change was a problem. I think he's just been bang unlucky, Thomason has been, by the fact that a goalkeeper's potentially handballed and stuck one into the back of the net. is should have been defended better. And two of the more experienced players in his, his squad, I don't want to say have let him down, they haven't let him down, that's too dramatic, but have made poor decisions that have cost them the points. And I just think that there's only so much he can influence. And if your players make poor decisions, it will eventually cost you. So that is my honest take on the, the the back five and the narrative that's building. I do not think it has been costly this week. I think you've analysed and summarised that really well, Elliot. And, you know, I'm in total agreement with everything you say. I think the only thing I'll add to it is is just the psychological element that when it happens, what does it do to the players of Coventry and Preston? Does it give them that extra 2%, that extra 5%, that extra 10% that they need to to perhaps do something. That's the only bit that just niggles my mind. You know, Preston didn't need a shot in the arm at that point, but do they get one when Britain and Wharton are coming on at Deepdale? Um, you know, that's the only thing I'll add into it. But I think your analysis there was was spot on. And, you know, I, I see it in exactly the same way. Um, I'm not sat here saying it's the formation changes. I'm sat here saying we should have defended a corner better and, Ryan Hedges and Scott Wharton as individuals, not as a system, should have done better. Yeah, absolutely. What does it mean then for the league table? Well, with the result on Sunday as well, with uh, Sunderland winning at West Brom, Mowbray doing Rovers a favour as it turned out. They're down to eighth in the table, but they're only outside on goal difference, which we do probably have to take as a point off really for Rovers compared because they're not going to make a minus two goal difference up on some of the teams in and around them. They're on 65 points. Sixth places on 65 points. So it's there's not a lot in it, despite them being eighth. Any sort of result on Tuesday night gets Rovers back in the top six on their, with their game in hand. Five points from three, Ryan. Gets them to 70. Do you think that might be enough with who they're playing as well? No, I think we've got some clarity on the playoff picture once and for all now. Um so we now know that 72 points is is likely to to be the mark that if you get to 72, you're going to make playoffs. I will add a slight caveat into that. Um, Coventry, West Brom and Rovers themselves um, could get to 72. But you're asking West Brom to win their remaining three games, which for me would appear unlikely. One of them um, being at Bramall Lane. <laughs> indeed. And Coventry have also got to go away to Middlesbrough. Um I actually fancy Sunderland to win both of their games from here. Um, I think Watford at home is a cracking game for them with the way Watford are playing and now they're out and their season is finished. And Preston could be out of the playoff hunt by the time they play them on the final day. So that would get Sunderland to uh, 71 points um, with those six. So I don't think the five points is enough for us, Elliot. But I do think 72 is. 71 maybe. But the thing that is the moment of clarity that we have with the knowledge of that points total, as you've pointed out. We've been talking about this Burnley game, its significance, the fact that we're just forgetting it from our projections and everything because we haven't wanted to think about it in recent weeks. We now know, as you say, if we do get a result, it's still in our hands and it is within our hands. If we don't get a result for the first time this season, it won't be in our hands because if Coventry and Sunderland win both their games, that's it. doesn't matter what we do in our previ- in our last two unless we win 8-0 and 9-0 or, or something like that. So the Burnley game now has taken on a monumental significance and I'm really, really pleased that they can't end our playoff hopes outright because that just would have been a, a double whammy. You know, if they were to win the league and end our playoff hopes, I mean, I don't think I could 
<laughs> I'd lose the will to live completely with that one. So at least our playoff hopes can't be ended outright on Tuesday. So JDT for me just has so many things now to say. They could win the league if they win here. They could take it out of our hands if they win here. You win this game and you get back above Coventry. JDT's got so many things he can bring into a team talk, let alone the fact it's a local derby. So this feels like, I mean, has there been a bigger East Lanks derby in recent years? I can't think of one with the ramifications for both sides and, and what Burnley have got on the table as well. Yeah, I think there's five teams, personally. I think you're looking at, obviously, Coventry and Sunderland, who currently occupy fifth and sixth. Rovers, Millwall and West Brom, they're the five for me. Yeah. I said before kickoff at Deepdale, I thought six points would be enough, so that would make it five. I still think that might be... I think Coventry will get there. Sunderland, I know they won at West Brom, but they've got such bad injuries. And it's very... I think the fact they drew of Huddersfield in the week, that's a very Tony Mowbray-esque result that we all, we all know better than most. That's a very uh, Mowbray kind of result. I just... I don't know if they'll win both games just because of who it is in charge. The injuries they've got is are horrific. Like they haven't got a fit centre half to to play. I just wonder if they might run out of steam. There's going to be so much to play for, and and obviously two massive games coming up this week. Yeah, the thing about Sunderland is uh, the crowd and and the twelfth man kind of element to it. I think the stadium alight is just going to be absolutely rocking at the weekend when they've got Watford in their final home game of the season. I think that will get them over the line. And then with the knowledge that they are playing a Preston side that are probably going to be out of it on the final day, I could just see Sunderland going there and getting the results. That's why I think about them. I think the other sides that you've highlighted there, though, are, are, you're absolutely right because you look at Preston, Norwich, Swansea. Um, maximum Preston can get to now is 69 points and then you're looking at 68 for Norwich and Swansea. That feels too low for me. I've never had it as low as, as 69. Um, you could maybe look at it being as low as 70, for example, or, but Rovers would need 71. You know, if Coventry were to get a win and a draw in their final two, but yeah, 69 and 68 feels too low for me. So I think the five sides that you have identified there are, are correct. And then obviously West Brom might take themselves out of the equation this week if um, if they don't get a win at Sheffield United. Um, you know, they would have two to play uh, and on a low number. So it might become four into two after that. But um, I think there's just huge incentive for Rovers now to just use this game in hand to our advantage. As I say, we have been avoiding talking about it, but you know it's it's plain and simple for Rovers from here now. One draw, two wins gets us into playoffs. Like that for me is clarity that we have not had in recent weeks. That is it. You just know for a fact now, you make playoffs with those results. Let's talk about it then, Ryan. Two massive games in the next seven days, starting with Burnley at Ewood Park on Tuesday. As you alluded to earlier, there's so much on the game, not least because it's an East Lanks derby, not least because Rovers owe them one, but because of the, the permutations of the table. Burnley can win the title. They can be crowned as champions if they win at Ewood Park. They botched up their attempt against Queen's Park Rangers. That's typical, isn't it? It did leave you a feeling of they've done that on purpose. They hadn't lost a home game at Turf Moor in the Championship since 2015, albeit, obviously, that's slightly skewed by the fact they're in the Premier League. And QPR had won one game all calendar year. So, obviously, the Championship serves up Burnley 1, Queen's Park Rangers 2. So, they can win it at Ewood. For me, this game, I always had it in my mind that it was a free hit. I was expecting them to lose. They've now got to get something. Quite simply, this is not a free hit. The results they've had in the last six... They've not won in six games. They don't deserve a free hit, quite simply. And they haven't got one. Burnley have only got two points from nine. But I don't think that matters one bit because I, I think Burnley, Burnley, with the great respect, they've tossed it off since they won promotion. And I don't blame them either. He's made changes. They've tossed it off. They were a bit unlucky at the weekend with the amount of possession and chances they created. They will come to Rovers at their top level or as close to the top level as they can with so much motivation. They'll play the strongest team and they will want to win the title at Ewood Park. 100%. 
Um, I'm not buying this. They've done it on purpose thing. I think it's just complete. I don't really think that. It just yeah. feels like that, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying you've said that. I've seen quite a lot of people say that as well. I just don't think professional footballers act in that manner. And as much as if you offered Burnley players the chance to, you know, do it in this manner, yes, of course they would love to win the title at Ewood Park and create a path for themselves that allows them to do that. But professional footballers, when they've crossed the white line, it's still a game of football. So I'm just not having that done it on purpose. I think symptomatic of the number of changes, as you say, and and just the kind of the psychological release that you have, I think, as a football player when you've got the promotion, you know, there is an element of you come down a notch. But make no mistake, Vincent Company, as a man motivator, as a man manager, will have these players fired up and he will have you know, his strongest 11 available. And, you know, with those two factors combining, we know that this is going to be a really, really tough game. And all of these things that we've been reflecting on in recent weeks, you know, slow starts like what we had against Norwich, the passiveness in front of goal like we had at home to Hull and, you know, at times against Preston, um, not defending it out at the end of a game. These things will all be punished. <laughs> Make no mistake about that if we dip into any of those levels uh, at home to Burnley. So, you know, without any of these permutations, if this was 12th against 13th, this is a massive game on a Tuesday night at Ewood Park towards the end of a season because the East Lanks derby is one of the best derbies in the world, if you ask me. I just think it's absolutely brilliant. Add in all of these other bits of flavour <laughs> and the fact that, you know, Rovers could have Burnley celebrating winning the league in the in front of the Darwin end and, and everything that comes with that, let alone the ramifications for Rovers. It's just, I just hope our players have got the mentality and the bottle for that. And I hope that they use the Coventry and Preston games and the hurt and the anger that they've all felt to motivate them now for Burnley. And I'll tell you what, I go on record now. If they can beat Burnley on Tuesday, I forgive them the ageing and the shortening of my life that they have given me with the last two games. Yeah, I think I'll back that. In terms of the team, Ryan, obviously we've spoke about the impact of Sam Gallagher and how his absence affected the team. I, we're, we're going to have we're recording on Monday morning. We'll have press with Yondal Thomason at about half past twelve. I don't expect Sam Gallagher to be fit. He's not really been committal on a time frame with Gallagher, but I don't see him being fit at all. What do you do with the team? Because as much as we've spoken about, did you need Morton and Morton against Preston? Maybe they did need them against Burnley. But I, I, I hope no matter what, that it's not Smodix as a false nine. I'd rather play Smodix off the left or the right like they did against Huddersfield. Does Hedges come in after what he did? He had a good game, but obviously what, what he did... I, I, I forgot to say this. I thought it was quite harsh that Silver Thomas went off actually at half-time because I thought he actually had looked quite bright against Preston. What do you do with that team? What do you do with that attack? How do you lift these players? Mm. Uh, it's not easy because I think Sam Gallagher creates a massive problem for us now um, because this is the perfect game for Sam Gallagher in many respects. You know, you need a physical presence up top in a local derby. You need people occupying the likes of Taylor Harwood, Bellis and, and others. So I think it is a conundrum. I think... What we absolutely do need, we need Brereton Diaz, we need Sam Smodic, so there is two of your three. It's then a choice, isn't it, of Ty Dolan, Ryan Hedges or Sorba Thomas. Um, for me, I'd go Ty Dolan because I think in local derbies, you need players that understand the magnitude and the significance of a local derby. And I think Ty Dolan absolutely He was gets really that. poor against Preston though, wasn't he? He was. He was poor. Um, I can forgive him that. Um, I think this. I think he understands the East Lanks derby. He knows the levels of performance that he's given Rovers this season and he knows that he won't have played well away at Preston. For me, it's Ty Dolan. And then at least you have the option of bringing on, like we saw at, at Preston, um, you can bring on Ryan Hedges to make an impact if you want to in the same manner. Um, and if you want to start putting crosses into the box, you've got Sorba Thomas. But... Um, yeah, for me, I'd do Dolan, Smodic, Diaz as, as a three and try and make that, word, uh, make that work and keep that midfield three that played away at Preston. That's personally how I'd do it. I think I agree. I think I would do the exact same. I think normally I like Smodic deeper, either as a number 10. He's not your tradition. He's not the same sort of number 10 as Bradley Dack, is he? He's basically a number 10, but he's comfortable playing as a number eight. Like you, You're not losing anything. He's not a luxury player like no. most number 10s are. So he can play deeper, but against Burnley, I think I would 
have a midfield free as well. Smodic's maybe off the right, dull and pressing from the front because we know they're going to keep the ball. So you want someone that's got boundless energy that's yeah. quite happy running doggies between the two centre-halves. And Brereton definitely, Brereton Diaz off the left for me. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. I think they, if you were to pick a front three to work hard, they are the three that will work the hardest. You know, you you, you can't knock that. I'd, I'd love to see the stats on it, but I, I think those three do work really damn hard. And I think with the midfield three, it just allows someone like Lewis Travis, for example, just with the knowledge he's got two in there with him, maybe he'll just break forward a little bit and, you know, put in that captain type performance because I don't think we've seen many of them. You know, that Captain Marvel type performance. We're Leicester we're away, definitely. Yeah, we're due, we are due one in a game like this from Lewis Travis. He got the goal away at Preston last season, which was great. Something like that where Lewis Travis just feels the confidence to burst forward a little bit. And it's that that's the bravery that I'm talking about. It's that type. So I think the midfield three will make three young lads in a local derby feel more secure. They owe them one, don't they? After what happened earlier in the season for, for the way that yeah. that second half went. You know, Barnes pushing Kaminsky in the goal. Teller with Hyam. There's a lot of narrative. There's a lot of pre-match um, needle between both camps. They've got to get off the canvas, haven't they, Rovers? They've got to have belief. They've got to get off the canvas after a really tough week and they've got to pick themselves back up for, for what should be a great atmosphere at, at Ewood Park. Oh, it's going to be cracking. It's going to be absolutely magnificent, is it? Isn't it? And um, as I say, I'm just—it's the bit that they can't end our playoff hopes. That's the bit that hopefully will take a bit of the tension out of the air for Rovers. I'm not saying we're going to be happy if we lose, of course not, because they're going to then celebrate the league win. But I think the jeopardy of the game—I'm just pleased that from our perspective, it's not there. And. As I said earlier, this game needs no invitation to be dressed up. This game needs no invitation to be supercharged. But wow, it's it's going to be quite incredible on Tuesday, I think, with whatever happens. You know, there are going to be a set of very happy fans and a set of very unhappy fans, whatever happens on Tuesday. Absolutely. We'll just quickly touch on Luton because um, we'll, we'll be recording after the Luton game next. I know it feels a while away now. It's still another week, but they'll be possibly preparing for the playoffs, trying to preempt results, which is the only positive I can take from a Rose perspective because they are a very good side. That's what we're hoping for. They face Middlesbrough tonight as we record, so they will play uh, Monday night. Obviously, Rose played Tuesday night against Burnley and then both teams uh, will play on Monday. So that's going to be a really tough game. Luton, particularly away from home, have been brilliant recently. Carlton Morris, obviously the danger man. That we've just got to hope that they've got the playoff place secured and they're they're happy to try and keep plays fit uh, fresh for that. Yeah, um, that's what I'm hanging my hat on personally because I think it will be a really tough game. Um, the only thing I'll say is I think we might have to manage our expectations a little bit because I don't know what the numbers and figures are in the championship, but I'm sure for Luton financially coming third makes the difference to coming fourth, for example. So. Um, you know, regardless of what happens at um, in their game tonight, you know, they're going to be coming to Ewood Park thinking that they could secure third. From a footballing sense, yeah, it makes no difference because Luton and Middlesbrough both know that they're going to, you know, have uh, a playoff tie in, in the second leg at home. And, and when you're looking at sides like Coventry, Sunderland, Millwall and Blackburn, you know, and West Brom, who do you want to play out of them? I think you can just throw a blanket over all of us. I think the difference is probably Giocarez out of, of those. So do you not want to come against him? And, you know, you can second guess it and and probably end up in a spot of bother. But yeah, it's back to clarity for me, Elliot. We know that we're going to have to do damn well to get a result against Burnley. We absolutely know we're going to have to do damn well to get a result against Luton because Luton will come up and be solid. Um attackers where they need to, you know, in the true Rob Edwards style. And they won't mind that that game is nil-nil going into the second half and would fancy themselves to to nick a goal, win it 1-0 and, and end Rovers' hopes right there. So where I've said there isn't jeopardy at home to Burnley, <laughs> we will know by 5.30 on Bank Holiday Monday that probably if Rovers don't win this game, that is the playoff hopes over. Last home game of the season, possibly the last time some fans see Brereton Diaz at Ewood Park. There are so many facets to the game that make it as big as the Burnley game, actually, because of that jeopardy element that there undoubtedly will be when we play them. Yeah, absolutely. Score predictions for two tough games. 
I am not coming on here and predicting a loss to Burnley, absolutely not. But I just want it on record that I think that this is going to be a monumentally difficult game. I'm not going to have it on record, but I think they'll lose, is basically what you've got. No. I'm not going to predict it, but I think they'll lose. <laughs> no, I'm saying it's going to be a monumentally difficult game. But I do think that the last two games will count for something for Rovers. And I do think that as much as, yeah, people have been saying about our Burnley doing it on purpose... I do think that they are disrupted in their flow a little bit at the moment. I do think that we are possibly facing them at the best time of the season. So, you know, that points to the fact that we can get something here. Um, I fancy us for a draw. I do. I'd love to sit here and say a win, but I do fancy us for a draw. I'm going to say one all. Uh, and I'm going to say that we're going to get something that accounts to some kind of stoppage time equaliser or something like that. We're going to do it in the other direction this time. One all. David Dunesk. Something like that, yeah. I am gonna I you know, I'm the journalist here, I need to have some sort of neutrality. They're gonna I think they'll lose to Burnley. I do. I I, I just can't not predict that in my in my in my in my with some sort of integrity. I, I just think that Burnley Yes, you can't turn it on like a tap. I do I do genuinely believe in that. I don't think that you can just turn on the style one week and then drop your levels another. So I do think their rhythm is slightly disrupted. I do think it's probably the best time to play them. I also do, unfortunately, think they are absolutely streets above everyone else in this division. Judging by their points tally, I think that's backed up. So I think they will win 2-0 at Ewood Park, unfortunately. Against Luton, I have more hope. I think Luton are a very good side. I do think their motivation is significantly less. And I still don't think Rovers will win, though. I think that'll be one all. So if we uh, we go with your result, because <laughs> maybe I don't have the... Uh, no, I'm not going to say that. So if we don't get the win against Burnley, let's word it, like, word it like that, then it's a game of jeopardy, isn't it, against Luton? And I don't think a draw is an option. And no, it wouldn't be, because that under, would mean we can only get 69, wouldn't it? If then they'd have to it. win a Millwall. That's it. So for those reasons, I fancy us to take it to the last day. And I think I also will... think I would. I think they'll take it to the last day, but that completely contradicts what I've just said. Mm. Mm. Do you want to revise your statement? No, I'm doing too many mental gymnastics at the moment. <laughs> so I think Rovers will take it to the last day, and I think we are going to get the win at home to Luton. I think it'll be one nil. Um, I think it's going to be a tight game. It's going to be a difficult game, but I fancy us to win that one one nil. So I'm saying one one and one nil. I'm going to fancy Rovers to get the four points, which takes us to. 69 going into the final day of the season. Who knows? You know, we could be sat in sixth place on 69. I would snatch your hand off at that (laughs) scenario right now. I would. And it's just mental torture, isn't it? And some Rovers fans will outright disagree with me and say that we're finished. And those words have probably come out of my mouth privately to some friends over the last kind of week or so. But just with the way the results are going, it's it's like we're not being put out of our misery. And whilst we're not being put out of our misery, there is absolutely the chance for Rovers to get over the line. So we should have been put out of our misery either way. We should either be sat in the playoffs or teams around us should have punished us and they haven't. So to be sat here, actually, you could argue, had Rovers got the results, well, teams around us might have got their results. So we're probably just looking at a very similar table, albeit with teams having higher points. We'll finish off this podcast, Ryan, with the Rovers riddle. Last week it was, this player dwells near the Red Spring. Did you have any luck? <laughs> no, <laughs> no idea. I sounded quite confident last week, like, I'll be able to work that one out. But no. Uh, it was uh, Joe Rothwell. Joe Rothwell. This player what? Resides near the... Uh, this player dwells near the Red Spring. Well, okay. Okay. Uh, this week, uh, both of my names are Scottish in origin and I made 11 peer- appearances for the Tartan Army. I had two spells at Rovers, t- uh, though limited appearances. I retired in 2018. Who am I? So that's mm. this week's Rovers riddle. Tweet us at Inside Brockle and let us know who, if you think you got the answer. And let us know your score predictions as well for what is a massive week coming up for Rovers. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast in your chosen app and make sure 
that you're following us on Twitter at Inside Brockle. Thank you for listening. Hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast and hopefully we'll be talking about two more positive results for Rovers next week. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you again very soon for another episode of the Inside Brockle podcast.